I have journeyed through the long dark night out on the open sea by faith Sight unknown, and yet his eyes were watching me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds Though the sails are torn I have fallen on my knees As I faced the raging seas The anchor holds In spite of the storm, well, I've had visions and I've had dreams. I've even held them in my I never knew that they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand the anchor holds though the ship is battle the anchor holds for the sails are torn and I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging sea the anchor holds in spite of the storm well I have been young but I'm older now there eyes have seen but it was in the night through
the storms of my life. And that's where God proved His love for me. Take your anchor this morning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you'll take your Bible, the anchor of God's Word this morning, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As many of you have come to know, it is a love chapter. God is defining love for the Corinthian church. It is the very remedy that this church needs because they were selfish self-centered. They did not love God with all their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. They were not loving their neighbors as themselves. And so we've spent a lot of time on the characteristics of God. And we're going to pick up in verse 6 and um, look at um, God's love moving forward. Um, we're going to see a near future prophecy, and we're going to see a eternal prophecy about God's love. And so we'll see the implications of that as we work through this section of Scripture. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. And what I'd like to do, rather than just read all this, I'm going to uh, just have some dialogue with you to explain it as we go, and then we'll get into our, our notes. So love does not rejoice in iniquity. That means it's not happy when someone sins. It means it's not even happy when someone is held accountable for their sin. But what does it do? It rejoices with the truth. It rejoices in God's Word. Verse 7, it love bears all things, believes all things. It means it believes the best of people, not the worst. It hopes all things and endures all things. In verse 8, love never fails. It means it never stops. It continues to endure. Matter of fact, we're going to see that it endures all the way into eternity future, all the way uh, with God and saints and brothers and sisters in Christ forever and ever. And then it's going to show us there's some, uh, that there's some things that are going to stop in the near future. He says, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, they'll stop. 
And again, remember, this is we've already dealt with spiritual um, gifts, and there were the miraculous gifts that were given. And he's saying the miraculous gifts are going to stop. And we see them stopping before the New Testament is finished. We, the last time we have record of it is in the book of Acts. In the later writings of the New Testament, we don't see them mentioned anymore. And if you'd like a good two-hour treatment on that, uh, we have a DVD here. As a matter of fact, we showed it several months ago for the whole church because it does a great job of showing how the miraculous gifts that people had in the first century uh, are no longer available today. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't still do miracles. It just means that nobody has the gift of healing. I, I can't go to the hospital and walk room to room and heal people like Jesus did or raise somebody from the dead like Paul did. Those things have ceased, and we see that here. This is something that uh, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is saying in the near future where, where there are prophecies, they're going to stop or they're going to fail, where there are tongues, they will cease or stop. See, is juxtaposed to love, which will always continue. So these things are going to stop. Where there is knowledge or supernatural knowledge, uh, this will vanish or this will stop. This will vanish away. For, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. He's talking about now in, in the time 2,000 years ago. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now we see a transition here. Now we're looking towards the eternal. Now we're looking at Jesus Christ's return. We're also, you can also put in the category of when we go to heaven. So you can see these things are going to stop. And he tells us as we're waiting on these other things to happen, he kind of gives us a glimpse at our progression. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, what is one of the major characteristics of a, of a child? Or characteristic of a child, and it's that they're easily distracted. As a young Christian, you're going to be easily distracted. And so one of the signs of maturing in Christ is that you head due north and you don't get pulled away by the shiny, glittery things on the right or the things on the left. And that's what he's saying here. When I was a child, I put away those things. And I replaced the distractions with, with God's truth. This is what he's talking about in context here. And now he's really talking about eternally future things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Where's that going to happen? That's in glory. We're going to see him as he sees us. He says, now we know in part. Again, he's going back to real time. And then he says, but then I shall know just as I am known in heaven. Everything will be cleared up in heaven. Any of us that have bad doctrine, it's going to be fixed. Uh, because we're going to be face-to-face -face with the Lord. Now, what this is not saying is that once you and I get to heaven, we're going to have omniscience. We're not going to be God. Uh, we're not going to know everything that God knows. But we will know everything that God desires for us to know. That's what, that's what he, he says clearly there in verse 12. And then he tells us, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. In real time, these are the blessings that we have today. But then he says, but the greatest of these is love. How is he separating these things out? Again, I think he's talking about the future state. When we get to heaven, will you have a need for any type of faith? 
Well, faith will be fact. I mean, you won't have to trust in things to come. You're going to be there with the Lord forever. Will you have any need of hope when you get to heaven? Hope in what? No, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, No more tears, no more night, no more day, uh, no more sin, no more temptation. There will be no need for hope. But what will remain? And we see love will remain for all of eternity. Now, as I was preparing for this, I wanted to go back to verse 6 and verse 11 and, and draw a sermon out of those two biblical truths that will help us prepare uh, for the lies of the devil so that we're not rejoicing in iniquity, but we're rejoicing in the truth, the truth of God's Word, and so that we are not distracted. Every time we sin, we take our eyes off the Lord. Every time that you and I make a mistake or, or all the way to sinning, uh, we are not following after, the, we have chosen our own path. We've gotten off the straight and narrow. And that's what I want our church to be prepared for because those temptations are coming. There is a plan, obviously, by the devil to dilute the truth and to keep you from God's Word. Some of you are reading through the Bible, and and do you think just reading three or four chapters a day would be an easy task, but finding it difficult. Why? Because there's a spiritual presence, a, a, a demonic presence that doesn't want you to do that. You can sit down and, and read the, the newspaper from front to end. You can spend all day on your iPad or iPhone or whatever, but you open God's Word and it's so hard. Why is that? Why is it that, you're tr- that there's a distraction or something else comes up or comes along that wants to get you to put it down? Well, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual fight, and I want us to be prepared for those things. We need to be reminded in John chapter 8 that Satan is a murderer and a liar. He's always been that, and he'll always be that. He's that at all times. He is never your friend. He never wants the best for you. Matter of fact, he's doing everything that he can to keep God's glory out of your life or keep you from bringing glory to the Lord. And anything that he ever, ever offers you will never make you better, will never help you to become more like Jesus Christ. It will do just the very opposite. Now, for some of you this morning, that's going to cause you to have to make a decision because you've just kind of been distracted You kind of, well, you know, I kind of love my sin. Well, to say you love your sin means you love what the murderer and the liar has attempted you with or brought in front of you and has distracted you. And so you're going to have to make a decision today. Either you believe he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning and at all times, you're going to have to believe that and and, and you'll follow that road to where it ends. Or that God has a better plan for us. God has his truth for us. God can get us through these incredible lies that we'll see this morning and and this evening. We're also reminded, you see that in John chapter 8 verses 42 through 44. We also see that the devil is an angel of light. The devil is an angel of light. You think, well, the devil can never say Jesus. You know, the the devil can't ever pick up a cross. You know, because I saw this vampire movie one time, and all evil has to flee from the cross. No, that that the Bible says that even the demons shudder and know about Jesus Christ. It's not that they have to run from it or or they're in a sense uh, immune to it. 
I mean, we see in the book of Job that Satan enters into heaven and has a dialogue with God. So please don't let your, your horror movies and fables and, and old wives' tales get in the way of what the Bible is teaching us and telling us. Look there in 2 Corinthians. Talking about false prophets, and he makes the connection between a false prophet, a false minister, pastor, and the devil. He says, as such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And they were, they were good at it. And they succeeded in leading many away. Then verse then 14, and no wonder, this is how they could do it, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, the whole Mormon religion is based on the angel Morane who brought supposedly a new revelation from God, an angel of light. That, the whole, let me say it again, the whole Mormon religion is based on this Bible verse where Satan came as an angel of light and has, has deceived millions. It is a satanic cult. That is exactly what we're reminded of this morning. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we hate Mormons? No, that just means they're the mission field. They're lost. They're all, all of them that believe the teaching of the Mormon church are destined for an eternal hell. Why? Because they're following an angel of light. We call him Satan. They call him a Moroni. This is the implications here. This is what you and I need to know from God's Word and this truth that he is going to show us. Verse 15, therefore it is not surprising if his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Well, they're going to pay for what they've done. Spurgeon put it this way, better to have been a devil than a preacher playing fast and loose with God's word and by such means working the ruin of souls of men and women, boys and girls. They're no different. There's the, there are devils in pulpits all over the world today, masking or masquerading around as an angel of light. Who are they? They're the ones that either take away or add to God's Word, as we're going to see, just as the devil did. He's a liar, and he's a murderer. And we can see clearly that um, men are lost in a dying state, and they can't understand it unless the Lord opens their eyes, opens their hearts, regenerates them, because we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but the natural man does not receive the things, the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned, they're spiritually gifted. We don't know who the elect are, and can I tell you this? Neither does the devil. Neither does the devil. So we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We, in our lost state, we can't understand the things of God. And I want you to notice something else. I, I, I see a double blinding here. Since Satan does not know who the elect are, since they were chosen before the foundations of the world, which means they were chosen before the angels, I believe, uh, were created. Notice there, makes 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, makes sense to us. Whose mind the God of this age is blinded? Who is that? That's the devil. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should, should shine on them. So they're dead in their trespasses and sin. And what is the work of the devil? He brings a double blinding. It's almost like taking someone who is physically blind and then putting a blindfold around their eyes again. That, that's the work of the devil. 
And so he's trying to do it to, 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 to everyone. Uh, and, and then, as we're going to see in a moment, for those of us that, by the grace of God, he removes that outside blindfold, and by the grace of God, he regenerates our spiritual eyes so that we can see once we become tr- Christians, then the devil changes tactics in that he is a roaring lion looking for those whom he may devour. He is never your friend. He is never going to lead you to a place where your life will be better ever, no matter what he might offer you for temporary relief or temporary happiness or joy or whatever you might define it. It is never for your ultimate benefit and for the glory of the Lord. So how do we fight back? What, what does Scripture say? What must we do so that we're not rejoicing in iniquity, so that we're not being distracted as little children that we're putting away our toys, and what are we doing? We're taking up the Word of God. We're taking up, as John's been teaching on Wednesday night, the uh, spiritual armament found in Ephesians 6 for us to use so that we can win the battle. And, and we'll be talking about some of that this morning. So what do we do? Well, one of the first things we do, we see in 2 Corinthians 10, that we take every thought captive. Every thought and, and your mind and your heart are connected. Your emotions and your mind, I mean, they, they'll fight against each other. They'll play with each other. One will try to win out over the other. But your mind is the, is the battlefield. And he tells us, this is how we do it. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, that's the Word of God. We don't have knowledge of God unless we read it from God's Word. So we take every thought, any, any temptation, anything we read, anything that comes into our mind, whether you're looking at your computer or talking on the phone or reading the news, I don't know, however information is coming into your mind, we're to take it captive, we're to determine if it's a speculation or something that's lofty, raised up against God's Word, and we're to take it captive to what? The obedience of Christ. Are you taking the time to do that? Are you just a gullible person? You believe anything. I mean, since we're so media conscious and we're so bombarded, if somebody hears something on the radio or TV or they read something, without even checking the source, they'll believe it. Without even running something down or asking the question, are you sure or where did that come from? Because we so through the years, respected a Walter Cronkite, or some of us that grew up when I guess they were trying to do a better job of telling us the truth. You know, it's like, well, they said it, we believe it. And I would encourage you to do, as the Bereans did, is to take everything that's said, even from the pulpit, and sift it through the Word of God to make sure that it is true. That is going to keep you from being devoured. That is going to keep you from being distracted. That's going to keep you from mistakes and incredible sinful things as you look at God's way as opposed to the devil's way. Look there in the Amplified Bible. It kind of gives us a little bit more. uh, It broadens the the, uh, conversation here. We are destroying sophisticated arguments. I mean, you think, wow, that guy graduated from an Ivy League school. You know, that doesn't mean anything today. It, 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 more than anything, it means they're anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-anything that would be, have any scriptural basis in it. 
destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sits itself up against the true knowledge, the Word of God, and we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. I mean, we can just simply say, whatever thought that is, if I do this, will it make it, will it, if I do this, will it be in accordance and in obedience to God's Word? It, that is the standard. So here's the question. Is that truly the standard of your life? Do you check in with God? Are you concerned about what He has said? Are you able to discern uh, the difference between a temptation or a distraction or what God clearly has st- said in His Word and in His truth? What else can we know or how trustworthy is this knowledge of God? Well, we see clearly in Psalm 119, 160 that all of God's Word is true and all of it must be obeyed. There's not a place in Scripture where you can say, well, this isn't true. Or this didn't happen. Or this is not dependable. No, all of God's Word is true. Notice there the psalmist said, the sum of your Word is truth. You can take all of it and add it up. You can shake it around. You can do whatever you want to with it. Read it. Study it. And it's all truth. Can you say that about Fox News? Can you say that about CNN? Can you say that about history books today? What else in all of this life can you say this about? And the answer is no. No no one or nothing. It's God's Word. So this is the thing I'm trying for all of us to see this morning. This is the highest way of living, and anything less than that, we are not giving God the proper glory, and we're hurting ourselves if we don't do this. Listen to this. Virgin said, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. Now, you think about that for a moment. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. I mean, what a glorious, wonderful life. As you search God's Word and His truth becomes your truth, then you have the heart of God You want, and you desire what God wants and whatever God wants and the same thing that you want, then you're going to get it because God's going to supply it. What an incredible encouragement that we see that all of His Word is true and every one of His words must be obeyed. That's the rest. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. His Word is eternal and some of it is truth. Notice this. Secondly, this is how we're able to overcome rejoicing in iniquity uh, and how we are to rejoice in the truth. This is how we are able to not be distracted. We're commanded to tear down lies and replace them with truth. So it's not enough just to identify it as a lie. It's not enough just to footnote it as a lie. We have to remove it from our thinking and replace it with something else. That's the Christian life. To tear down and to build up. To take off and to put on. That's what we see in Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world talking about the philosophies of this world, the temporal things of this world. Don't be like that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renovation of your mind, that old stuff has to be torn down. And I'm talking about stuff that you may have heard in other churches, in other places, and in other Bible studies, and then you are confronted with the truth of God's Word. You are to tear that stuff down because it's not of the Lord. You may have been told 
by some minister or well-meaning Sunday school teacher that just got up and did the best they could, but the best they could wasn't following God's Word. you got to, for the rest of your life, when you're confronted with the truth, and maybe that's even happening today, you're to tear that down, set it aside, not think on it anymore, and put something new in its place. That's how you and I overcome sin. That's how we are able to to, uh, be victorious in our sanctification because if you're not thinking about it, you can never do it. If it's not up here, it's not going to come out here. So we... God is teaching us and telling us that the battlefield is the mind, and we take care of it. And that's why you see the Word of God thrown out of churches and replaced with psychology. That's why they take something from it or add to it. Why? Because it's going to distract us. It's going to fill our minds with things that are not the truth. And that's what we keep seeing over and over again. Don't be conformed to the philosophies, the temporal things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, how do you know that? Well, you have just renewed your mind with his word so that now you can live it out. That's what this verse is telling us today. This is how true love wins. This is how you and I are able to overcome the wiles and the schemes of the devil. Therefore, we see that our goal in life, we see there in Colossians chapter 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and whatever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men. Memorize these verses. As we make decisions in our lives, are we asking ourselves, does this bring glory to God or does it bring glory to me? Does this bring glory to God or does it bring glory to someone else? Is something in my life trying to steal the glory of the Lord? And if it is, we have to set that aside. We have to tear that down and replace it with the new. What is the new? To bring the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And just as a reminder, I think I included in your notes, the sin in your life... The only way you and I will ever be, as Christians, will we'll sin is if we have been deceived, we've been lied to by the liar, or we've been distracted. Those may be the good things. Those are the good things that are enemies of the best thing. You may say, well, every, the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't do that. The Bible doesn't really even call No, what you've done, though, you've made that an idol in your life. I mean, it's something as, as, as wonderful as a gift from God as our children. If we're not careful, we can make our children an idol and worship them and, and be more concerned about them than we are about our relationship with God. Do you see how the devil works? It can be your spouse. I mean, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's exactly right. But he never said to love them more than you love him. And see how subtle that is. He just, he just says, well, this is nothing really wrong with that. There, and again, I don't know how that applies in your life. I know how it applies in my life. See, the implication is, is this is the truth. Now, you put it into practice in your own life. So the sin in your life, the mistakes of your life may not raise to a, 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 a being sin that you just have refuted God's word and you're just going the opposite way. You just aren't thinking correctly. You're not thinking biblically. You're not being wise. You're not applying the knowledge that God's given you. And you can make some terrible mistakes. And when does that happen? We make mistakes in lives when we're deceived or we're distracted. 
Something gets in the way. I don't know what happened, but in your bulletin they showed me this morning, and I wrote it out, and I thought it was fine before I sent it off. One of the songs is, I'd rather be a rat this morning, I think it says in the bulletin. Well, really, you know, it says I'd rather have Jesus, but I don't know what happened. I don't know if I just didn't click all this or that or whatever. Something distracted me. I don't know. I'll have to look back to see maybe what it was. But that's a mistake. We don't want to be rats this morning. We'd rather be like Jesus, but that's what the bulletin said. So we're either deceived or distracted, and it causes problems in our lives. And I want to include this. Some of you... um, are familiar with Paul Harvey. He's been dead a long time now, but a Christian man who really started with nothing. His father died as a, when I think he was three or four years old, and he loved radio, and he bought radios, and finally was able to get on a radio station, and he married a young lady, and she became his producer, and, and he, his, his um, radio spot was The Rest of the Truth. Uh, I believe that's what it was called. The rest of the story, that's right, yeah. And he said this in 1965 because he could see where the country was headed. We can see where the country's headed, right? We can see that Bible principles are being left aside for the high-minded speculations of men. But read along with me. I thought it was so important that you might have it in your notes. He says, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. So I'd set about however necessary it was to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of the serpent. I would whisper to you as I whisper to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I'd whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good, and what is good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle, peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. For the devil, I'd soon have families that war within themselves, churches at war within themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. For the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you know it, you'll have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse, then the schoolhouse, then the houses of Congress. And in our own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. By the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. 
And what do you bet? I would get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich, Tennessee included. I would encourage, I would caution against extremes and hardworking patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young and, that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus, I can address you in the public and I could lure you into bed and with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. 65, what is that, 50 years ago? Over 50 years ago. It'll be 60 years next year. What's going to happen in the next 60 years? I think you and I have something to say about it, especially in our church, especially within our, in our families. This reminds us that the mind is the battlefield. I mean, practically, we, we can see all these things happening all around us, and I'm promising you, it's not going to get better. It's not, we're not going to be ushering into the new kingdom of God by getting better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, and then Christ is going to come. Look there in these words of Scripture that just reminds us, as a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs, so he is in your mind, in your heart. You do exactly what you want to do. None of us are slaves in the sense that we can't do what our heart demands for us to do. We're slaves to that heart. So you can see what a man does or what a woman does, and you can back that thing up, and you can see right into their heart. We're minded. In Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick who can understand it. Even in your saved, we hear we get a new heart, but that new spiritual heart is surrounded by flesh, and we're having to put that flesh to death every single day. That's the, the, the point here. Proverbs reminds us to keep our hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Mark reminds us, for, or Jesus, for, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murders, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Now that's, that is the situation every lost person is in today. And as a saved person, we are tempted to go back to that old life, aren't we? If not, we would never sin. If we were, as we're new creations in Christ, if we just kept going and became more like Jesus every day, then we would never sin, but we, we still sin. So we see this battle that rages. Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his, her mouth speaks. So we know that this is a problem. We know that it ends in sin. And what are we going to do? We're going to look to God's Word, tear down the temporal, and put up the eternal. One last thing we're going to see this morning as we understand what God is showing us is that He's going to hold everyone accountable. And then we'll look at the first lie of the devil this morning. I think I have four or five more tonight. God's Word is powerful and will hold everyone accountable. That's why I don't have to give you my opinions this morning. That's why everything is 
connected and attached to Scripture. That's why you're not going to hear anything that's outside of, of the Word of God. Why is that? For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged swords. So why would we use anything else? Why would I use men's psychology? Why would I use a man's philosophy who is going to die one day, and if he dies without Christ, he is going to burn in hell forever? Do I want to put that in the footnotes? piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That this word, I, I, that's why I don't have to worry when I step down. I don't have to worry about who's happy about it. I don't have to worry about who's mad about it. I don't have to worry about the one that's saying hallelujah or I'll never come back. Why? Because once it goes forth, it doesn't return empty or void. And it cuts you to the heart. It divides your soul and your spirit. It is the most powerful tool that any of us could ever use in our living and especially in our preaching. Why would we substitute it with anything else? So it's preached, it's out there, it doesn't return empty or void, and you have to, you're going to be held account of it. That's why I've said heaven gets sweeter for you, for those that obey Christ, and hell gets hotter for those that turn against it. Why? Because God is going to bring judgment. A judgment of blessings in some and a judgment of damnation in others. Look there at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must Give an account. You think, well, the coast is kind of clear. Nothing's really happened yet. Can I just remind you that God doesn't uh, balance his books at the end of the month, but there's going to be a big day of balancing when all those books are going to be open and those without Christ are going to be held account for all of their sins, the ones they've thought, the ones they've performed, the ones they even wanted to do, desired to do. And God will make a judgment and send them to hell forever. So with all that background in mind, let's begin to start identifying some of the, the tactics of the devil so that you're not caught distracted, so that you're not being deceived. The first lie of the devil is whatever you do, make sure it makes you happy. Well, because you're the center of the universe, you're all that really matters. Just as long as you're happy, you, you demand it from businesses. And some people even try to come into church and demand it. Just that you're happy. Everything's well with you. It fits all of, all of what you desire and, and, and all the things that you care about. But that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. God is not interested in your happiness He's interested in your holiness, to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, which means his right deeds, which should lead to our holiness. We see it in the temptation of Adam and Eve. He's appealing to Eve's contentment, and she was discontent even in the garden. He's telling her that she likes something that she needs something more. And God said when he created everything, what? It's all good. It's all perfect. It's, 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 when I say it's good, that's all we need to hear from God. Maybe that's what he's dealing with you right now. Every, you know, other Christians would love to have your life. You're just dissatisfied. 
It's not because of spiritual things. It's because of worldly things. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. This is Lucifer. This is the devil, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? See, right from the very beginning, he's causing or he's tempting her, distracting her with doubt. Did God really say that he'd provide all your needs according to the glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus? How's he doing with that? And what happens with us, we confuse the word need for want. And if God hadn't given us everything that we want, then we think the whole Scripture's a lie. But it's not talking about what we want. It's talking about what our, our needs are. And He has met every one of your needs and will meet all of your needs. But you see how subtle He is? People that are mad at God believe that God's a liar and He doesn't keep His promises, but all of His promises are true. So who's been deceived? And that's what He's trying here with, with Eve. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Trying to just begin this dialogue of, da- of doubt. And the woman said to the servant, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. And the reason I underlined that is because he didn't say that part. And you're thinking, Well, you know, Eve's just trying to be more holy. No, you, you aren't more holy when you add to the Bible, you're just the very opposite. To add or to take away from the Bible is a grievous sin. It means you don't trust God. And that's basically what we see here. It wasn't enough for her to say, you shall not eat of it. She had to add in there, I guess for self-righteous reasons, or maybe to convince herself that she was untemptable, which we find out she isn't, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So now he's got a hook in. Now he sees that she's vulnerable. Now she's really distracted. He continues the conversation. He said, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Who is God to tell you something like that? For God knows in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, you will know the difference between good and evil, but you're not going to be God. See how the lie, he tells a little bit of truth, but he doesn't tell the full truth, which makes it a lie. So when the woman saw, again, this is where it gets to making sure that she's happy and that she's being taken care of and provided for to her standards. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. Now, you and I need to be careful that anything that we run after that might promise us these things, can only should only be promised by God and take and we should only take advantage of those gifts from God from his source. Don't go to any other source for the pleasing of your eyes or something that might sustain you or fill you or something that what might make you smarter or wiser. You may be wise in the world but not in the ways of the Lord. This is the temptation that's happened over and over and that's what's happening to some of us this morning. This is how you've been tempted. And notice this, and this is a whole nother sermon. You think that Adam's out tending the fields or doing something else and he's nowhere to be found. He's standing right there and he allows the serpent, he gets out of the way and he lets her, lets her have conversation with him when as her husband, he should have shielded her from that. Dad, that's why your role in your home is so important. You're to shield your family from all the things that we've read in Scripture, from all the things that Paul 
Harvey said was on the way, which he knew because he read the Bible. And we can see clearly that it's in the Bible that all these things have been promised. You are the one to keep it from coming into your house, not the one to bring it into the house. Unbelievable, isn't it? Goodness. Look there. It's just the saddest section of Scripture. And, and if Adam had done his job, this, this wouldn't have happened. But he didn't. And, she, and, and so she also gave, what, to her husband with her. With her. Doesn't mean he was just in the garden with her. It means she. He, how do you how do you give something to someone? She didn't rear back. We know it's a fruit. We don't know it's an apple. She didn't throw it across the garden. She hands it to him. Why? Because he's standing right there, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Why? Because they sinned. They had a knowledge that they that God really didn't want them to know, and they sinned, and they. And they found out something that God never wanted them to have to bear. And we'll end with this this morning because there's a payday. And that type of lie, whatever you do, make sure that it makes you happy, is extremely expensive. Selfish happiness or being selfishly happy is expensive. It's a bill you'll never fully pay. Let me give you two examples. As I read through this, I want you to know how many times the personal pronoun is used. I believe it's used eight times in three verses. God is not even considered here. This man is so distracted by the things of this world, he never even asks, well, God, what do you think? Or how will this affect other people? It's about him and him alone. Jesus told the parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest he thought here we go he thinks see this goes right back to what we've been talking he thought to himself what shall I do I have no place to store my crops then he said this is what I'll do I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. What a plan. Some of you may be coming close to your retirement years. Is, is, that, is, is that what your retirement professional is telling you? Oh, man, you've worked so hard and you've got this big old lump of cash and all this stuff you stored up. Man, just take it easy now. No, listen, you and I ought to be run. It tells us we're to run the race and we're to finish the race. In whatever way you and I can get there, it is still a race. You don't want God to say to you what he said to this man, but God said to him, you fool. You don't want to hear God saying that. Especially when it's directed, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Look how expensive this is. This is how it will be with, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. It's expensive, isn't it? And just to pile on a little bit, we find these stories throughout the Bible you don't have to look hard. If this was the only one, it would be enough for us. But let's pile on for just a moment. Mark 8. 
Jesus, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now let me just say, that seems to be a negative thing, but whatever you trade your life for the life of God, you always benefit more than if you'd have stayed in your dead, lost life. You, uh, I think I've described it as giving gravel and then receiving a diamond. So, so don't look at this as, as thinking that you've lost. No, you've literally gained. What you've lost is your old dead life that w- does not and will not bring glory to God. And what you've gained is a life with God that brings glory to Him and reward in heaven forever and ever. So don't look at this as it's in a minor key. This is in a major key as loud as God can play it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You lose your life. You stay in your life. You live in your life. You enjoy your life. You're going to go to hell forever and ever. You die in that life. You walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. You're going to be in heaven forever. That's what this scripture says. For what? Here it is. The, will profit a man if he gains the whole world, everything in it. You can stand on the top of the highest building or mountain in the world and say, I own it all. And then lose your soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See how expensive that is? And see how much you lose? You don't gain? So this morning, just a couple of questions as we end our time. Again, we've got other lies that we'll talk about tonight. This is enough for you to be thinking about this morning. And I encourage you to be back here tonight. Because you, you don't want to leave your mind unattended, do you? Nobody wants to be taken advantage of. Do you? You, you don't want to know something that you could know and then just be distracted this evening enough to where you don't hear it. What a foolish decision that would be. So it all comes down to trust, I believe. Who do you trust the most? Who do you trust the most? The God of this universe? The creator of this universe? The sustainer of this universe? The one who is all-knowing? The one who is everywhere at all times? The one who is all-powerful? Are you trusting Him? The one who has never withheld any good thing from you? The one who's going to supply all of your needs according to the glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus, the one has, who has supplied all your need when he chose you in the, before the foundations of the world all the way to a hundred trillion billion years into the future in heaven with him, are you, are you going to trust him? Or are you going to trust the liar and the murderer whose name is Lucifer, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for the one whom he may devour. I mean, I want you to think about that. And whatever your response is, is what you've chosen. And what you do this week is what you've chosen. And how you live your life is what you've chosen. It will be revealed, and you and I will be judged for it. So this morning, could I just ask you to bow your head? The implications can't be any more clear. Now, how are you going to apply it? 
You can't say that you, you're not because to say you're not, the Bible says if any man is not for me, he's against me. Neutral is against God, by the way. So who are you listening to this morning? Who is filling your heart and your mind? Who are you following? Who is the most trustworthy? Where is your dependence on? Who brings you the most happiness? Father, I pray that all of us are moving towards or we're all able to say, it's, it's you, Lord, and, and we recognize that when we're distracted or we're deceived that we sin. We're so thankful that you've made a way for us to be forgiven through, through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that paid for all of our sins. But how foolish is it of us to continue to commit the same sins that put you on the cross and separated you from your Father and caused you the anguish of bearing something that you never committed. Lord, help us to recognize the lies of the devil and the truth of our Father. And Lord, may each of us respond in a way that would prove to you that we, we've heard it, we've understood it, and we're going to follow after you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and respond as the Lord leads you?